We are pleased to be joined by Sean Coffey, the head coach at Utica College. Sean, it's Sunday morning. Me and Smalls are not at our best. How are you this morning? Doing all right. You know, I appreciate you guys having me. Excited to talk uh, some basketball today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's my favorite question I ask at every every show, but we're in August. You guys are coming off a 14-11 and 11 season, 8-8 eight and eight in the Empire 8. Uh, but an appearance in the conference title game, you, you've had some time to reflect on your third year. Mm-hmm. What went right and what went wrong in your in your eyes? Uh, well, actually, we did not make it to the title game this year. So the bio is from last year. Previous, yeah. So this was uh, yeah, our third year here. Um, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was a tough year. We knew it was going to be kind of like our grow up year, if you will. It was kind of how we were phrasing it throughout the year, not necessarily to the guys, but I knew going into this season, it was going to be a little, you know, a, a lot of young players, a lot of freshmen, sophomores. Um, we only had one seniors past year and the previous year when we did make it to the title game in our second year here, um, we, we did have five seniors. So, you know, we, we lost a lot of older guys that, you know, had really kind of put their staple on the program. Um, but we knew we, you know, it was going to be a challenge and, and then, you know, these guys went off and had the best start we've had in, you know, in this programs, uh, last 15 years of this program, we, we were five and one and, you know, we were up against Hamilton, who was number three in the country at the half, and then you know that kind of wheels fell off at the end of that one. But um, and I don't think that helped us though. So you know, going to league, you know, I think we were a little too overconfident. Um, you know, as we were getting into the games that were really gonna you know make or break our season. You know, we really are more of a one bid league at this point. So um, and then just you know, not to make excuses, but our first five games were on the road. Uh, in the conference, that was really difficult, especially with playing so many freshmen and sophomores out there. We had you know, one of our juniors towards ACL in our fourth, fifth game of the year. He, he had played the most minutes from the, the previous year. Um, so, you know, a couple overtime losses on the road kind of, uh, you know, they, they lingered a bit, you know, as we started to get going after Christmas and as we got deeper in the league and, you know, those overtime losses, you know, they hurt. So, um, and we only get four out of nine in our conference tournament, which is, it's, it's tough. It really is hard. Um, you know, the benefit is you only got to win two games and make an NCAA tournament, but it is, uh, you know, we're just all beating each other up. They're just trying to get in that top four and to come in fifth with those uh, early losses, you know, it, it was hard, but, um, I do think, uh, you know, we're excited where we're going um I, I just think you know we we talk a lot about you know using our failures and and being able to grow from those things if you're just gonna be like we stink or you know blaming each other then we're not going to grow from those situations at all and so i'm hoping our maturity level rises we get older um and they just naturally are, are just ready to handle more adverse situations and uh, so that's kind of where we're going right now were you surprised? I mean, like 17 and 10 the year before, 11 and 5, like like we said, an appearance in the conference title game. And then only 14 and 11 and 8 and 8. So the drop-off getting as young as you did, I mean, obviously, like, coaches are very critical when you look at the on-court product and you're like, ah, you know, something's not the same. But were you surprised at, at how guys competed this year? Or did you expect your recruiting class to really come in and, and kind of take the reins of the program to get Utica to that next level? You know, that's a good question. It's a little bit of everything. You know, we knew we knew it was going to be hard, but then they just they they uh, 
they're talented enough and they were, you know, for the most part, tough minded enough. And I just, I really do think that our quick hot start, um, they took their foot off the pedal a little bit and they had to, you know, they hadn't really been through adversity. Like my, my first year here, um, you know, was, it was, it was difficult. It was really challenging. You know, I, you know, I came from St. John Fisher. I was there for five years. I was in the same league in the Empire Eight here. Um, I don't think I ever lost to Utica, you know, out of the 10 meetings we had. And, you know, it would be like, go to Utica, win by 20, and go home, you know. And, and so it was kind of, you know, not to take shots at anyone before me, but that's just kind of the reality of it. And, um, you know, these guys, uh, you know, had come from a tough uh, – I inherited two really – good players but their their careers have been very underwhelming in their first two years here before I got here and but they were so hungry to you know they'd been through bad times and then we kind of uh, it was really hard we we cut ties with a lot of returning players that first year I was not very popular around campus a lot of their friends were like who's this guy you know uh, this fisher guy coming over here and, and cutting all our friends and so that that that, that was the last sleepless nights doing that. I did not, you know, I don't think any coach takes joy in, um, you know, kind of throwing a huge wrench in a kid's life, career. You know, now you're throwing transfer stuff out there at them. You know, if they want to continue to play, they have friends on campus. They're deep in their academic programs. Uh, I don't take any of that stuff lightly. Um, but we brought in a bunch of freshmen. I was able to get some uh, who will be seniors this year. You know, I was really lucky to get some guys late that spring that hadn't made decisions. And I really had seen value in the guys that were here that we ended up keeping, just a toughness. And I knew it was going to be a bad start. You know, that first year it was going to be hard. We brought in a couple of JUCO guys to kind of help bridge the gap a bit. And we started 0-10, and, and that was really difficult. Um, I knew we weren't going to be lighting the world on fire, but to be at Christmas and be winless was – that was that was hard. And first time head coach, I'm like, what am I doing? But my point being, these guys had gone through that. They turned it around. They got the three seed that year. They went 10 of their last uh, 15, got the three seed, got that playoff experience and then rolled that into the next year um, and then getting into the final. But the guys this year, they had not had that 0-10, that, you know, that coaching change experience that. Uh, had to transfer as a JUCO experience, you know, where they had to pick up and start over again. So, you know, I think all of us have to get knocked down a peg and all of us have to go through some tough stuff. So when those tougher games started coming deeper, you know, around Christmas this year, we really kind of hit a little skid just starting games terribly uh, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, th th I'm hoping that they're going to find their adversity out of that for this coming year is what I'm getting to. So they need to go. They need to go through some tough times. You you mentioned St. John Fisher and coming from, I mean, ton of success. Like you guys were loaded so good and you come, you're there for five years and you're winning all these games. You get to Utica and I'm sure as, you know, first time head coach or whatever you want to call it. Like, I'm going to do this, this, and that. I'm going to win games. Like, that's what's going to happen. And then you kind of mentioned it. You lose, you know, your first 10 or whatever happens. What was it like? Did you have to kind of relearn or learn how to lose a little bit and how to adjust from that? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Fisher, they've been so good for so long, like you mentioned. They have such a great tradition there. It was nothing that I necessarily created. They had had 25 straight winning seasons when I got there. My first year was the – we broke that record and went 11 <laughs> and 14. So it's I, all your I, fault. I found it's all your fault. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll take the I'll take the blame. I walked in uh, October fifth. I think that the the, uh, the table was set for that year. So, uh, but no, I mean, um, but but again, you try to find the growth in those failures, and but so yeah, the, so I learned to lose at a place they won. So that was hard. That was th- a really tough year too. That no one expect you know expects you to lose there. Period. And we go under five hundred for the first time in twenty five years, and. You know, you start to hear the, you know, the chirps around campus and the anonymous emails to presidents about coaches and this and that. And, um, but it definitely gave me a, a better insight on, you know, anyone can say what they want about Division Three. People do care. Alumni care. Uh, if you're not doing your job, if you're not providing them something to be proud about or you're, it's going in a, the wrong direction, people are going to speak up and they're going to be, looking for a change and uh but again those guys i walked in there they were already recruited freshmen and um we go and you know we, our best big guy he was a great player he popped his shoulder out first game against it in the league and it just another thing just kind of lingered all year popped out again six games later and we were just weren't the same without him we, we had again a bunch of young guys um, very similar to my first year, and they were just thrown to the wolves. And that same class ended up going to the Sweet 16 in their senior year. So to go through that that four-year process of getting better and buying in, and again, they, they started their year. They were the ones on that team that broke this great uh, record of winning seasons, and that was a real thorn in their side their entire time there. And then you know, they had to write the ship and they had a great experience to finish it up and just, you know, a great story. But um, so to answer your question, I mean, I think I had learned to lose even at a really good school and, and feeling the pressure of losing at a place they expect you to win. And, uh, you know, and just as a player myself, I, I went through a lot of adversity with teammates tearing ACLs and transferring. And so I, I, didn't have a winning record as a player, even though I, I felt like I was a good player. And, um, but I, I, I learned to lose as a player too. And it, it's something that continues to drive me. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And, um, so that's, you know, kind of what makes me kind of who I am. I think a lot of coaches would say the same is using those experiences to, you know, have a drive still and, yeah, and fuel you. Yeah, yeah of course. And- motivation. Yeah. I, during your time at St. John Fisher, obviously you have to do your job well as an assistant. I think sometimes we gloss over that. You can't just think about your next job. You have to recruit. You mentioned like being a value to the alumni and putting a good on court product, but how did you kind of prepare as an assistant coach just a little bit uh, to become ready to become a head coach or ultimately uh, be a head coach wherever you were going? At St. John Fisher. Well, um, you know, I, I the experience there was great. Coach Corniker, who has since gotten out of coaching, um, you know, he went when I was getting there. They had been to seven NCAA tournaments out of the past ten years. It was like crazy run 
Um, and then, you know, like I mentioned, kind <laughs> of knocked them off that run with me entering, but, um, no, but he was in a, in a point. Oh, you're probably being a little hard on yourself. But. Yeah. But uh, he made me made me know that it was me. <laughs> <laughs> that was ingrained in me for a while, still is. But um, no, I mean he was at a point in his career where he wanted to really hand over a lot of the reins of the day to day aspects of the program. So you know, it went from we were planning practices together, and you know, I was probably doing a third of the drills on the floor, you know, handling. And then the next year was like, I was planning the practice and then we would meet about it. And, you know, he put his tweaks on everything, but I was a recruiting coordinator. I was doing all the film, you know, I really got, and this is not a knock on him that, you know, he put me in a position to really, you know, be almost like an associate or like a head coach. And he was handling the more big picture things, you know, travel and, and, you know, and I learned so much from him as a, as an in-game coach, great in-game coach. Um, and, you know, he could get after the refs pretty good too. So I learned a few, you know, good phrases from him. I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> if you speak to the, the, uh, the referee brethren, but, um, you know, but he, you know, he just, I had an unbelievable, uh, chance to put my spin on everything i could run anything i want if it didn't work he'd tell me that sucks you know we're never doing that again um so i love it yeah so i mean he gave me free reign i was drawing stuff up in huddles you know it was the ultimate experience to just become ready to take it take over a program and you know and have a lot of confidence that you can do it uh and another thing i did you know i had a kind of a running list a document if you will of you know, it was like titled when I become a head coach, you know, and basically I would go through all the things that I'd seen that week, that month, whatever it was. And uh, I would just bullet it out. I'm going to do this. We're go- we're not going to do this. Um, just the different, the different situations that get thrown at you as a coach that just are unpredictable. Um, and just ways we can kind of circumvent that and avoid bad situations. Um, you know, trying to create your own style. What do you believe in? What do you think works? What are you really confident in that you can teach well, that you can game plan well with, that is, you know, agile to your league, to your, to your competition. Um, and I, I think that, and I still have that list, uh, you know, around where I, I keep changing that still. Um, but yeah, so and believe me, all the things I got on there, they don't necessarily work either. So it, you know that, that's why it's still a working document of like, ah, right, you thought you knew what you're talking about, you know, six or seven years ago, you had no idea. So what was the biggest adjustment when the time came and you get the job at Utica? You're saying that you had a lot of freedom, X's and O's wise, but maybe Coach Corniker did a lot of the travel and stuff like that. But when you finally get to Utica and you, you get a chance to run your own program, what was the biggest adjustment of going from assistant to head coach, other than, I guess, being more directly responsible for, for losses? Well, the, the relationships between players and coaches, I think, are, are really different when that title changes. You know, I was, you know, a, uh, a younger assistant like we all are, you know, when we're coming up. And I think we can, you know, just have a different relationship with the players. They feel a little more comfortable coming to you with certain things, you know, 
and they don't want to bother the head coach. And, you know, and there's just a natural kind of a wall there of maybe a little fearful of, the, you know, the head coach. They don't want to divulge everything. So a lot of it goes through your assistant coaches. And, you know, I really enjoyed that part of it. I really did. And to, to all of a sudden, you know, I could feel that, that kind of barrier. You're a head coach now. Like, they just weren't coming to me as much. They're a little scared. They're a little intimidated. And uh, that, you know, I, I'll be honest, like that, that wasn't fun. I, I wanted to still have that closeness. Uh, and, uh, but at the end of the day, you're going to be, you're going to be the one making decisions on how much they're playing, not playing, which is, that's just the number one, I think, issue we all deal with, with our players um, and their satisfaction. Um, but, you know, so losing that a bit um, was, was, was a big change. Um, you know, other things, just like your name's on this thing now, you know, um, it's hard to, you know, you, you think you're getting ready for it and then all of a sudden these things just come at you. Uh, I mean, sleep, number one, is probably the biggest thing. I swear, <laughs> I don't sleep like I used to. There's days I'm like, I would, would love to be an assistant again. I would hate losing, like I said, but I slept okay, you know. Like, I get up and do it again. Like, I get to go try some more stuff tomorrow. Um, but, you know, I kind of – but as you're going through a couple bad times of a season, you'll start to see, like, the wear and tear it takes on a head coach, and then you start feeling that. And, again, that 0-10 start, I mean, there was not a lot of sleep going on. My wife was pregnant, you know. And, and yeah. It all comes – it all, like, snowballs, right? It's just, it's a, per- like, it's just a perfect storm. Yeah. He was born – he was brought home. He was born on a game day. I was in the hospital till 4 a.m. We had a 4 p.m game against our crosstown rival SUNY Poly going into Thanksgiving break and our guys were like we're gonna win this for you coach and you know you had a baby today you know your son came into the world and and they laid an egg they, <laughs> and they let you they let you down <laughs> and you can't trust them who you can't trust that's your team um thanks guys you know you guys couldn't put it in the ocean they're all thinking about you know how am I getting home what you know what are the honeys I'm gonna see when I get home you know so those are those uh, are the best games like Right before Thanksgiving break and right before Christmas break, it's like you – not that you would do this as a coach, but, like, if you were maybe somebody who was interested in, in sports gambling, like, you pay attention because – Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Teams yeah. are just so ready to be done. They're just like, okay, our flight's at 6 p.m. Like, I get to go home for three days. I don't have to practice. I get to, like, not worry about basketball. Like, that, that's like a bet the under situation. Yeah, absolutely. And it was like a 52-49 game. It was terrible. Like, I should have just stayed in the hospital and uh use the excuse but um so yeah those games are tough i think i'm like over on those games going into thanksgiving break or or christmas well one of the one of the things you mentioned was uh the dynamic change once your title changes and i've been uh, you know different places where some coaches they just are kind of like hey i want guys to feel as comfortable as possible around the office or i want them in the locker room as much as possible and then you know like when smalls and i were at temple like dump just was kind of like a ceo and you know he wanted to make sure guys were okay but he he didn't necessarily late in his career feel that he needed that relationship do you think it's possible to get to that spot where your players i don't want to say trust you but like they like being around you it it seems like those kind of relationships are very different right like them trusting you and wanting to win for you is one thing but then being like, you know, I think I'm going to pop my head into coach's office and say what's up. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of guys like that. Is it possible to get to that way with your players, do you think? Or as a head coach, do you, 
sort of have to be around the CEO mindset to be as successful as possible? I, you know, I, I don't know the division one level as well. Um, I think there's so many more engagements that that division one coaches have to be involved with. They're kind of being pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, and maybe that's just the way they want it to be. I think it's possible. I think it's something you really have to work at and, and fight for all the time. And, and, um, you know, there, there's a few guys, I mean, we've had, they're just very low maintenance guys and we appreciate that, believe me, but I won't see them, you know, they won't come in the office for two months and I'm, you know, I see them in practice, but they kind of come to practice, they do their thing and they, they're going to the library or they're, you know, they got other set of friends that aren't, that are outside the program. And, you know, I, I got to continue to say, Hey, you know, stop down sometime, you know, let's talk. Um, I don't want to have to make a, a meeting request with you to just say what's up and kind of being a, you know, a less stressful environment, less hectic, chaotic, you know, environment of a gym and we're trying to get ramped up for practice. And so I I do think it's possible. I just think you really got to be intentional about trying to uh, create that, you know, and, and having them feel comfortable to come and like make almost like it's got to be built into their, their routine of weekly or, you know, I'm going to stop down, you know, the guys who don't play a lot, they, they probably aren't coming down. As much. <laughs> it's harder if, if you set a meeting, right? Cause then guys are like stressed out about what, yeah, yeah. Yeah. what does coach coffee? That want always happens. Yeah. So like, it's tough for you to have like an organic conversation, right? Just be like, Hey, what's going on? Like, how's your family? How's your girlfriend? Like, how are your classes? And they're just like, is he prying for information? And I, I think like, that's where, I don't know. When you choose to have your career be around like 18 to 22 year old kids, you're like a little crazy anyway. But I, it's just like, I, I just always wonder if that's possible because kids are so different and they just seem to shy away from authority like that. They do. And I, I've noticed it immediately as becoming a head coach and especially coming into a situation where they're all looking over their shoulder. You know, am I going to be around? Is he going to bring And you know, some rightfully so, you know, at the time, like they just, you know, they just weren't good enough or they, there's just too much, too much stuff going on. But yeah, I mean, uh, the new guy, everyone's trying to feel you out. And then even the guys you bring in, you know, um, and kids are, yeah, they are different. I don't want to call them weirdos, but sometimes I'm like, guys, you need to speak. <laughs> you know, I can tell on a recruiting visit when dad's answering every question for you, like, oh man, this kid, he's good, but it's going to be hard getting much out of him. You know? Yeah. Yeah, he's going to have to, maybe by his junior year, he'll say hello to me. (laughs) How did you go about constructing your staff? I I think it's it's really interesting to talk about with Division II, Division III coaches. Just, it's different, all right? Division I, you have all these resources. You get to hire full-time, you know, coaches throughout your staff. How did you go about constructing? What was important to you and what were you looking for in assistance? Well, uh, my first assistant was my father, so he came on. That's good. So solid solid move. Yeah, so it went through a rigorous interview process. (laughs) Vetted him, and yeah. Um, But uh, called my mother, called my mom up. Is he all right to do this? You know, but uh, um, so I was really fortunate. You know, he was a great player. He was one of these guys, like more of like a park player. And he grew up in Rockland County. He played at St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, right down 
the street from where he grew up, you know, it's become a juggernaut, you know, Tobin's in such a great job there. Um, but, uh, and he played for Gordy Chiesa, who was Jerry Sloan's assistant for like 16 years with the jazz. And we're actually going down to his clinic next week to go watch. He comes every year back to stack and, uh, a free clinic. It's really cool. So, um, but yeah, so he was my first and, you know, he's on a volunteer status and, you know, I have a couple kids. So, and he's still coming from where I'm from in New Paltz, New York, which is down in the Hudson Valley, Poughkeepsie area. And so he, he makes the trek, uh, does the grandfather thing during the day and then, you know, practice at night or games. But, um, but I'm really fortunate to have him and, you know, you can kind of lose sight of that uh, as you get into the the depth of the season and then, you know, the co- coaches like, man, it's so cool. You got him around and, and it's the truth. You know, I'm lucky. And sometimes you got to remember that. But, uh, and then Dave Wattis, I had, um, my first, so that we, I have a grad assistant and there's a chance it might go full time in the future, but they're really good, um, grad assistant as far as what they offer. But, um, so Dave was at Hartwick, uh, with Todd McGinnis. I saw you guys had him on. Uh, great time. dude. Yeah, yeah. Guy's electric. <laughs> yeah, I've known him a long time. I played against him when he was assistant at Hartwick. I was playing only on to Crosstown Rivals and, and uh, you know, hoop group stuff. And, and yeah, he's, he's, he's nuts, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and uh, coaching against him when he came back to Hartwick. So, but Dave was his assistant in, you know, for a couple of NCAA appearances. And Dave's from Utica. So I got the job here and I got a call like within two hours of it getting out there. I'm on my way to the pit jam fest and uh, my, Oh, this guy's calling for my old job. You know, it's, you know, he's going to want my job. And, um, and he played Oneont as well. So we had a connection play for the same coach, coach Vince Medici. And, and he was like, I, I you know, I want to come home. He wanted to come leave a full-time Hartwick position. You know, I think it was nine months, but, um, he wanted to come home. He was, he wanted to get his masters. He wanted to get out of Oneonta. He'd been there for like seven years as a player and coach. And, and so, I mean, to ha- he had five years experience going into it. So he was huge. Like he was like another head coach. He'd been in the league. He'd been extremely successful. So I got really lucky with that. And just, you know, I'm not from Utica and he is, so they had that local tie, um, you know, bringing some more of the local people like this outsider's not so bad, you know, because this guy Dave with him was great. Um, he's since, you know, he got his master's of cybersecurity here and he's working at a bank now doing that stuff. And, but he's still on our staff. And then uh, John Mullane is now my new assistant going into his second year and he's just getting better and better. You know, it's always easier second time around anywhere you're at. Um, just knowing how I like to do things, you know, getting things done before you have to be told, but it is, it is a, uh, you got to make really good decisions. You know, if one drops in your lap, like Dave, that was an easy one. You know, we, you know, that's an obvious, um, but then it's like when he was going to get a real job and, you know, he's doing well for himself and got his master's done. It's like, uh, going through that process of finding a guy that you're going to really trust and you're taking calls from everybody. Everyone's got a guy. Everyone, everyone has a guy. My guy, this guy, guy, that guy. guy. Yeah. It's like, you don't want to upset anyone either. You know, like I'll, I'll give your guy a look, you know, absolutely. I don't really have any great leads right now. So, 
And then when you ultimately make your decision, you hope you make a good one and you hope you're not making too many people upset. You know? um, but, uh, and just try to keep the relationship going. Cause you never know. I might be trying to work for them one day. I don't know. You know, some of these guys. So um, we actually, we talked about that with Kevin app from Williams for a while where he, he kind of told us like, you know, he's a reserved guy that Williams is obviously really good and he's had a good run there. But the second there's an open position spot on hoop dirt, like, every single person calls him like, Hey, remember that time we had a conversation in an airport? Well, I got this guy that would be great for you. And it's like, you only want to talk to me because like you want to get somebody a job, but that seems to be par for the course at any level of college basketball. Even, uh, Bill, Bill Morosco from independence told us that, that like he got a junior college job and all of a sudden everybody was calling him to hire guys. And it's like, it's totally wild. It's kind of how the business, like, I mean, it's not how it should work, but it's, it's interesting in terms of like networking, I guess. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, you try not to get upset. Like, all right, the only time I hear from you is when you need something or, you know, you're trying to pump someone else up, you know, one of your um, – you know, I, I like you said, I think I think just kind of just how it is. I think it's in a lot of industries too. I think we get caught up in our own world so much that maybe we're not uh, just dropping a line to someone, hey, what's up, you know, just having, you know, I think that was – I, I can tell that happened more probably 20, 30 years ago. A coach would just call another coach and just say, what's up, you know, with no motives. I just want to say, how you doing? You know, talk hoops for a minute. You know, who you got coming up? You know, um, not like, oh, man, give me the scout for this team. You know, we're about to play in three days. Like, you know, I think, again, being more intentional is something I have to definitely get better at because, again, you get caught in your world and you know, I think that's something my father's actually really good. It comes from kind of more of that era, like just dropping an email, somebody with no strings attached, like say hello, you know, um, tell them they're doing a good job, you know, let them know that you're watching and you're following. And then, you know, when something comes about that maybe they need something or you need something or you want to help somebody that came from your tree, then it wouldn't look like, oh, the only time you talk to me is when you need something. So. Um, I mean, I think we could all get better at that. But, yeah, it seems to be the way it is, you know. And I, I won't say that I'm not guilty of it either, you know. But uh, I, I think I would, I tend to say to myself a little bit with, with certain things like that and not look like I'm desperate. Guys, we've got to take a quick break to talk about Podcast One Fantasy Football. Football season is right around the corner, and Podcast One Sportsnet has the best shows to help you build the best fantasy team in the league. Listen to Jeff Ratcliffe break down all the latest NFL news on pro football-focused fantasy, then serve up some picks with Ross Tucker's Fantasy Feast, and take a spin with the award-winning fanalists on the fantasy record, or get all the tricks for fantasy sports and gambling with the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. Dominate the competition and download new episode of these shows and more every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. And now, back to Sean Coffey. For you, your, your career, we, we didn't mention, and probably not going to get into it, but you were a, a pretty good player. And then a couple of years at the JUCO ranks before St. John Fisher, where you were also like running a health fit, a fitness center on campus and coaching you know, men's and women's basketball team. But what, what advice would you give to young guys trying to break into the business at any level? You know, I'm sure you've crossed paths with guys at Hoop Group, Pit Jam Fest, all over the place that are like, hey... Sean, I, I want to be a college basketball coach. Like for you, what, what are some of the tips that you think are the most important things to, to tell guys? Um, you know, I, I, I'm trying not to give the, uh, the, ge the ge generic answer of 
work hard and you know i mean we all need to work hard we all need to meet people we all need to be self-starters and we all need to get some you know level of luck at, at some point too um and, and things got to open up and timing's got to be right but um you know i i always knew i wanted to be a division three head coach like that was kind of my thing and um you know, part of it was like I wanted to play Division One, and I kind of had that chip on my shoulder. I didn't play that level. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna focus on Division Three. You know, call it right or wrong, but I, you know, kind of used that a little bit too. And um, I just love Division Three. But um, you know, but I kind of had to plan like, you know, I, like I don't think there should be this prerequisite that we need to always be broke and struggling, the struggle, the grind the getting treated like crap you know you know i've heard some horror stories and, and i fortunately have never been treated poorly by a boss and i think they knew i probably wouldn't really t- take that you know um but you know so i i just again i i don't think that should be something that we have to go through um so i kind of you know my plan was i i went into a master's program to i wanted to work at a college i wanted to find a way into higher education period and so guys like that i i talked to you know coming at it from a different angle like i'm going to get into higher education i want to get i want to be in a position where i'm earning a salary and then wherever i'm at i can i can volunteer hope maybe something part time comes open uh, maybe a different school, you know, down the street, you know, something where you don't have to be sleeping on a couch, you know, all the time, just being broke. I mean, it's I mean, sometimes it's easier said than done. Like I did it for free at the Juco level. I did it for a thousand bucks the next year while I was getting my master's. But if you can have a plan where you can work at the school, getting admissions, getting career services, you know, whatever, um, you can, you can find your way into a lot of those entry level jobs and then, you know, bust your butt trying to do the extra stuff to see and see if coaching is really what you want to do. Like trying to throw all your eggs in that basket at 22 years old, you know, it's going to be hard and you got to really get lucky. And, and sometimes the resources run out for you to even continue to try and follow this dream where if you can actually earn a salary, have some benefits because um, you're working at the school, um, I think it can keep you in it longer. And then you can really make a decision. Do I really want to go all out full time at this if the, if the opportunity presents itself or, um, you know, I have, I, you know, other things just take precedence. You know, I, I want to be nine to five. I want to be, you know, the lifestyle of it all, you know, you get that feel. So uh, again, you know, it's not, Gonna always happen, but I think coming at it a different angle as far as uh, let's get let's get a job, and then we can work our way into it. Not you know from a from another way, um, especially on the lower levels. You know if you're not looking to be at you know Villanova or something like that as the end game, which is obviously extremely hard to do. So um, so that's what I would kind of say to young guys getting in, and, and really you know I think it gives you a chance to see if you want to do this for real. It's super refreshing to hear like that answer, because I I do think now as the field gets more more saturated at all levels and people are like, oh, coaching basketball, like it's fun. Like I'm going to be John Calipari. Like things that Smalls and I kind of from day one when we started this podcast, we're like, look, 
it's hard. Like it doesn't matter where you coach. And like, yes, older guys seem to just embrace the fact that like they maybe made a thousand dollars in 1988. And so that's what you do now if you want to make it. And it's for some people. Yeah, sure. Like, it, but, but it's, it's different for everybody. Like you're, I mean, Sean, I can't tell you how excited it made me to hear you say like, look, decide if you want to coach basketball, like you don't need to take a job and just be like, all right, this is what I'm doing for five years until I finally catch a break. And in doing so, like, I'm going to cut off all my personal relationships. I'm going to make my parents supplement me, or I'm going to work as a bartender. Like, yeah, if that works for you, do it by all means. Totally great. But if you just like are miserable doing it, you're going to burn out before you ever know if coaching itself is the right decision for your career. And I just like, it just makes me so happy to hear somebody say that because that's how I've always felt about it is like, if you love coaching basketball, by all means do it. Like I will never tell anybody to not do something. But at the same time, like being realistic about like your actual life and your family and do you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? Like, do you want to like, do you want to live in freaking like, I I don't know. I'll just use Oneida, New York, because like if I had moved up there, I probably would have been pretty unhappy given the fact that I wouldn't have known anybody. Or do you want to like, like you said, have a normal nine to five schedule and then, you know, maybe do coach, be a part time assistant and be like, okay, then if something opens up, I know I can do this. I know what it entails and I'm going to take this chance. Like. I just really am excited to hear you say that. And I just wanted to chime in and say that because I, I think that's one of the biggest things that hurts the industry at the bottom level. And it's why I think very talented people don't maybe ultimately get the shot that they want. And it's kind of shrouded in like, oh, you didn't work hard enough or you didn't stick it out. And I just don't believe that. I just think like, you're right. Like luck is a huge part of it. It really is. And who can afford to do it for longer than somebody else? Because, you know, at 28 years old, you, you can't really make $2,000 a year as your only income. It's just not possible. Just, yeah, I, you know, I, again, my father came to 95% of my games, you know, travel across the state, all through the SUNYAC to watch every game, you know, and that's just been important to me. And I just think, you know, putting a family, putting a life on hold to just do this for nothing is, uh, I just never believed in it. And, um, and I don't believe that it's this rite of passage and this, you know, that you have to be miserable. And exactly what you said, you know, cutting off relationships, missing out on everything for, you know, a couple grand. And, and like, that's like, a, you know, these guys war story, you know, but it's like, okay, I, I, I don't really want to do it that way. Sorry. You know? And, and I don't, I don't think you have to do it that I way. Yeah. Like I, I just, cause it's, it's like when you're younger, you kind of like sneeze at like, maybe you do go to, you know, Utica, cause they have a really good grad assistant spot. And then in two years, you're able to make a decision like, all right, do I want to use my master's? Does this get me a full-time assistant somewhere else? Or do I want to stay and coach, you know, coach AAU and maybe come back, circle back a little later when I have some more money in the bank. Like there's a lot of ways I think to go about it that like people just don't consider. They're just like, all right, well, if I'm out and I'm coaching high school and it's a good job, then I never have a chance to get back to the college ranks. And there's way too much evidence to show that that's just not true. We see guys go from high schools and go from GA spots to assistants or, you know, they're on the road somewhere and then they move up to another level. Like it's, it's very possible. And I just think, like you said, guys are more excited to be like, yeah, you know, at, at St. Joe's, I was making $500 a year and I ate 187 packs of ramen that year. And like, what's your record? And it's like, look, man, this story is lame. Like, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Like, what'd you do? Like, how'd you get better at your job? Not, did you sleep on a couch for 365 days? Yep. That's what I think is the hardest part about all this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I could go for straws. You got, you got one more and then we'll, we'll move it along. Yeah. No, I, I wanted to, uh, just ask you about 
your personal balance, work-life balance with life. And, uh, you know, obviously you mentioned having a wife and having a baby born years ago and things like that. How do you kind of balance that, that work life? Because coaching is such a commitment, as you mentioned as well, especially in season and the recruiting and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a puzzle. Uh, on top of all that, you know, I have two kids, uh, Riel six and rip. He's Richard, but we call him rip is, uh, yeah, rip Hamilton. I get it. Well, Coatesville pride. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> and my wife is actually uh, a head coach at the junior college level. She's a women's coach. So she's got her own, she's at Herkimer community college through the men, you know, won a national championship this year. So, you know, pretty, uh, good levels of basketball. So, to have two head coaches in the house um, and practice and game schedules. And, and you know, we, we're both not from here. Uh, our parents aren't terribly far, but, you know, we don't have someone, you know, in the same neighborhood ready to watch the kids or something. So um, it is a puzzle to just putting that all together. Um, but it definitely makes us communicate. It makes us get our, our stuff together. You know, I, I think one of the best things my daughter started going to, uh, she was in pre-K and she just got done with kindergarten and I was, I've been tasked with bring her to school every morning and it, they get going pretty early. Actually, she's got to be there by like seven forty in the morning. And I felt like, Oh my gosh, like this is really like, and I'm going to be in, you know, I got practice at six tonight. So, um, but I think actually that time with her in the morning, getting her ready, getting to school, like, even though it's like a, three minute drive. Like I get to kind of be silly with her in the car, blare some music, you know, get her pumped up for the day, whatever, you know, drop some knowledge on her, you know, some bad knowledge, but then, uh, but, it, but, and then that gets me in the office, just gets my day going earlier. And then I, I don't feel bad. Like if I'm going to go home, eat lunch, you know, I live two miles from campus, which has been one of the best decisions. Um, like literally I think, 1.2 of it is just getting off campus. Um, so from the gym and um, so going home, being able to drop in and, you know, my son's still at home and my wife is, is part-time. So she's home during the day and then she's doing her coaching stuff at night. So, um, it, you know, but I, I heard this the other day. And I think it's really, uh, yeah, I think it's really a good way of looking at it. And you kind of have your, your family life, you know, your home, everything. You got your professional, your career life, and you have your social and and all that stuff. And you know, basically try to pick two to be really good at. And it's just an obvious decision when it comes to that. So, you know, my uh, handicap has gotten a lot worse in the last year or two. So, you know, I think I played once in some benefit this year. But uh, other than that, it's like. Uh, you know, the social stuff kind of goes out the window a little bit, become a little bit more homebodies. And, you know, we had a free weekend this weekend and it's like, we didn't even know what to do. You know, it was like, this is too much time in the house. Like, let's get out of here. So um, we're just constantly on the run. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, you got to pick and choose what you're going to, um, what you're going to commit to, you know, in different engagements. Uh, you know, I read this book, Essentialism, recently. I really enjoy reading and, and that, that's actually where I might've gotten that from, but you know, what's essential? What do you actually need to do? Don't, you know, we all have this 
uh, common feeling of anytime someone asks us to do something, we always say yes. Everything's yes, yes, yes. You know, you got to learn to say no to stuff. You got to, even though, you know, might upset somebody unless it's like an important alum or something like, yeah, I got to go do this. But um, the stuff that's kind of fluff and you just, you know, I'm going to miss time, you know, with him, you know, or I'm going to miss time bringing her somewhere, you know, the zoo or something, you know, so rather do that so just kind of learning how to say no is has been a really uh a, a benefit to just being around them more when i had the chance to do it yeah that, that's been a theme of older like veteran coaches on the podcast is like when you're young say yes as much as you can because the shelf life of how often you can say yes starts to decline like very rapidly yeah that's good advice uh let's move into coach speak we, we just got one it's from jay billis this is actually Pretty good segue based on what you just talked about, but Smalls, this is this is a good one for you because sometimes Jay Billis just starts talking, and I don't know that he knows where he's going, and I don't know if he knows what the quotes are, and uh, this one I need broken down. All right. When you're young, there's a lot of have-tos in your life. If you take care of the have-tos part where you're when you're young, you have a great opportunity the rest of your life to be want-to. I mean, that's just, you know, you can tell from me reading that that's a difficult like thing to kind of conceptualize. But I kind of want to know what were some of the have to's you had to deal with early in your coaching career and how did you kind of handle those? I guess, uh, I mean, I look at have to's as, you know, just, I guess, maybe grunt work stuff. You know, you have to go get picked up the meals. You have to put the baskets down. You know, I think I, it look, seems like more of the stuff that most coaches, the head coaches, don't want to do. Um, and, you know, it's like, again, you, you, you get your, your rite of passage by doing all that kind of, you know, stuff that needs to get done. Believe me, I think I do believe that you, you do create an appreciation of when you do get that job you really want that you that you had to do all these things and you worked for it um you know i really try still as a head coach to you know not act like i'm above that stuff and and just keep putting it on my assistant or two now if they're sitting around doing nothing then that's all another story if i'm the only one doing anything but um i, I just don't think you can do that at our level you got to be able to, and willing to do everything um you know, uh, again, like we were talking about before, I I just think treating people well and not, you know, we shouldn't be treating people poorly. And I don't think that happens that much. But, you know, and we, I think we need to treat ourselves well, too, and, and, and not be in such a miserable state as far as um, going through these uh, these mundane tasks and and living in poverty and asking for loans from mom and dad. And, you know, um, I, I really don't think we need to do that stuff. So um, I guess maybe he's talking about that as far as I have to, uh, that, you know, then you get to plan that job and you get to buy your own house and now you have all the stuff you want to do. Uh, you know, so I guess that's what, how I look at it. it you know, it, it's funny talking about mood too, like, cause self-care is not something that's like often talked about in this industry. Like, yeah, guys are like, Oh, take a vacation. Or we hear, you know, Bruce Arians or Dabo Sweeney say that they tell their assistants they're going to fire them if they miss like a recital or like a time with their family. And I, I don't really buy it. Although Bruce Arians said it like four years ago before Dabo said it this year. So, but I do think it's really interesting of like, 
at the end of the day, you get to coach basketball. Like if you get to run your own program, like that's pretty cool. Even if your job's not amazing, like, you know, even if you're the facility director and also the head basketball coach, but it's, you know, full-time gig, like with benefits, like you don't have to be miserable every morning at like 7.30 a.m. and be like, you know, we've lost two in a row. And I know it's hard. I get it. It's totally difficult. But I think you're right about that, Sean, where like self-care of being like, man, why don't you take five minutes and be like, this is awesome, you know? I was coaching the men's and women's basketball team at a junior college five years ago, and now I get to run my own program. Like, that's still cool, even if, like, you are 0-10, although, like, 0-10 seems like a dark place. But it's like, I agree with that. And I don't think, like, self-care is talked about quite enough in our industry. For sure. For sure. Um, you, know, you know, taking time to reflect on where you've come from and what you've done and, and really ultimately what we're doing right now. You know, we're pretty lucky to be in these positions. So, um, I, you know, just not letting that pass us by too much as you get kind of caught up in everything. And I, know, and I, I also talk, I, you know, I, I tell guys work out, man, go work out. You know, <laughs> talk about self care and everything. Like, um, you know, I, I, I work out six days a week still, you know, I, I try to actually work out like I'm a player still. And, uh, um, you know, might not have the same explosiveness as, uh, you know, 10, 12 years as if I had much to begin with, but, um, you know, but I think that is a form of, you know, get your mind clear, you know, get the endorphins, you know, pumping and, um, yeah, and take some time for yourself to get yourself kind of centered. And, and that's one way I really do it is, uh, I, I get to do a lot of my thinking and things come to me. Like if I'm just, I'm shooting or whatever, like different actions or whatever, or, you know, I, I know so-and-so is having a tough time. You know, I got, I know I got to grab, you know, one of these kids. That I just, I, I got to make a point to go make sure I find him before practice today and just grab him and say, what's up. And, you know, it kind of centers you a little bit with a lot of things. So your workout is not the like typical coach, like throw your wireless beats in, like get on the elliptical for like 20 minutes and then like walk on an incline treadmill for 25 minutes at like, three miles an hour in it but you got the ipad going and you got a little film you got a little clip going <laughs> little film yeah you know we're trying to multitask which um everything i read is that that stuff just doesn't work you know just focus on one thing you know you know don't try to do five because you're gonna do them all be like present in your workout like be, yeah. be focused yeah. on that rather than yeah, yeah exactly but yeah you know i i honestly i'm trying to kick my guy's ass still and, and uh lifts and you know i'm trying to tell them show them like i'm still better than you, you know? <laughs> and uh i i got, actually got yelled at by corniker back in the day like i they, yeah, that's the one thing these kids they always want to play one-on-one they want to like, compete yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, all right, i'm not i'm not putting myself in that situation it's kind of a lose-lose so yeah, yeah. but as far as you know i'll shoot against them and all that stuff and i'll do an agility drill and or whatever, and, and you know, Corner's like, I mean, you just you're destroying their confidence. <laughs> like, come on, man, how much are we gonna baby these guys? Let, you know, let's go, let's go. It's probably it's better they lose to you than like in the league they get embarrassed by somebody. It'd, it'd be better if they felt that embarrassment against you, and we're like, all right, well, I'm not gonna let this happen again. I guess. Yeah, you gotta you gotta test them. Well, I'm gonna test you right here with our city review. We got Utica, New York. Uh, you said you don't have a lot of free time. You just had a weekend, didn't know what to do with yourself. I'm going to dive deep into your mind. So the next time you have a free weekend, you've got a whole weekend plan. Give me three restaurants, 
two bars or night spots and one activity to do in Utica? Oh, man. So uh, restaurants, really good one here is Ocean Blue. Um, it's kind of more of your upscale. It's like kind of like an oyster bar, actually. It's really cool. Up on top of like uh, these new apartments downtown. There's a ton of money going into downtown Utica. Like a lot of uh, younger professionals. I think it's like 8% rise in, in uh, young professionals in the last uh, four or five years. So there's, yeah, there's more. It's kind of a, a cool vibe like happening around, uh, you know, um, some younger people come in the area. So um, that's a really cool place, though. Uh, awesome view. You know, the, you know, we're in the Mog Valley, so you got the mountains all around and everything. Um, my daughter loves a place called Bite. Like a bakery slash like lunch uh, breakfast place. And so anytime we're going somewhere, like if she's got a choice, we're going there. And you know you could you could load up on the pastries pretty good there. What's what's her go to? I mean, I got I got to know her go to because if I'm coming to Utica, I'm going with your daughter's choice. I think she goes does like a turkey club or like a grilled cheese. She's into that, you know. I can always get down to the grilled cheese. I'm yeah, I'm all in on the grilled cheese. Yeah, and uh, some monster muffin or two, you know, you know. Some different they got some different combos as far as flavors you know you got pistachio and almond and all this uh so she yeah she's got the metabolism to work that off but um and then another you'll, play, you'll play her one-on-one don't worry yeah, i know well, <laughs> i played my wife one-on-one about uh eight years ago and she like hit me with a, a ill step back oh and i was like that's not happening again <laughs> And then the next one, she same move. I I got in the air. She countered, kind of up and under me. And I like came across her neck. I almost killed her. And like never again, never again. Yeah, she let a blood curdling scream. It was like, oh my! I thought I I thought I killed her. So I'm like, we're not. That was at Corning Community College. That was a while ago. Not much to do in Corning, but uh, and I think we were engaged at the time. But anyway, so um. Another spot, uh, Utica Roasting or Utica Coffee is really good. We were just there actually yesterday. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know, again, downtown, um, got a little hipster vibe to it, but, you know, kind of a yeah, typical coffee shop, you know, where you think it's a uh, talk about prereqs. Uh, I think you have to have bad tattoos to work at a coffee place, bagel place. You know, you have to have awful piercings and tattoos as they handle your sesame bagel. But um, gloveless, of course. So, yeah, but no, but great spot though. <laughs> you know, I recommend it. <laughs> it's actually awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, bars now. Yeah, yeah. Or, or just like, or like a night spot to go. You might go like watch a game somewhere or something if you're not, you know, not uh, drinking. A uh, place, uh, Swifties is like a bar restaurant. They're they're actually a big sponsor of us. Swifties. Um, it's like an Irish, you know, themed, you know, typical Irish American bar ever since playing in ireland i'm like I come back it's like these all these kind of irish places like trinkety you know kiss me um irish places um are hilarious to me now but um yeah you know ton of tvs and and you know food or you could go just eat there too it's a it's a good place to bring family or you know we actually have a lot of our team meals there in the back there you know on break in particular and the dining hall is shut down so We'll head there quite a bit. Um, 
I got to mention though, if I want to like get away from the world, I don't even probably 80% of Utica doesn't even know of this place. It's called the dinghy bar. The dinghy. Yes. It is a dive of all dives. You, it looks like an abandoned building in a rough part of Utica. And it's like someone just put a bar in someone's living room, you know, and the local guys are just, they're hilarious, you know, um, it's just the storytelling and, um, the, uh, the banter of, you know, calling each other the worst things you've ever heard. And, you know, like betting on every golf swing, you know, every tournament, it could be like the FedEx open or betting on every hole. So, uh, I think the best thing about those local like dive bars, those local people is, you know, they'll be telling their stories and then you'll just, you'll say something and try to take the conversation one way and they'll look at you and they'll be like, in 1968, <laughs> yeah. the leg styles used to run around and they'll just keep going. It will, they won't even acknowledge you. It will just be one train of thought. That's the experience of dive bars. I yeah, love it. I've learned to be, just be quiet and just uh, yeah. observe and, Spoke when spoken to. Be Write a book, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a good place. Um, just no one's going to find you there. No one. Yeah. <laughs> no one exists. I just, I actually just Googled it to see it. It's just, it does. It looks just kind of like a house. Like there's yeah, just yeah. nothing around the corner. it. Yep. A couple dumpsters around it. Gravelly uh, parking lot. Um, and uh, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be caught in there. Um, you know, I think they close at like seven o'clock at night too. Like they're it's, all, they're for, all it's for afternoon. It's for afternoon drinking, right? It's for like get your get your Miller High Life at like two p.m. until you get to like go home. And that's what it's yeah. for. Yeah. yeah, I had an alum like, you know, he uh, was like, "Oh, meet me at the dinghy." My first fall here, you know, I might have a check for you or something, you know, or just want to meet you. Like, all right. I'm like, I'm asking people, you know what this place is? And like, I've never heard of it. And then my sister's like, oh, I know where it is. And we went. And it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. And I was there till about six. And like, just kind of doing my, you know, again, say, you got to say yes to some things. And just like, all right, another picture, another picture. And I was like, I couldn't get out of there. And I'm like, oh, my wife, I don't know where I am. <laughs> come get me i know you're i know you're like you know eight and a half months pregnant i don't know where you know you got to come in into this rough spot and come you know find me on this corner please because i'm not uh i can't drive right yeah my my grandfather had a place like that they just called it the pool hall i have no idea what it was called and it was the same deal like closed at five o'clock they used to just play like pinochle or something like that in there and you'd get there at like 9 a.m and you'd leave at like three and then do the rest i mean you're tired like what what does it matter you know but you your drinking was like vastly earlier. You'd have like a Budweiser at like 10 a.m. It's like, what the heck? Yeah. yeah. You don't feel as bad the next morning either. You know, you get it done early. So. All right. Give me one activity in Utica outside of uh, partaking in the dinghy. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, the Utica Zoo is actually pretty awesome. We have a zoo here. It's like within a mile. Like, it's not a big place. You know, it's a small city. Kids, they got a big playground, throw them on there. They got food in there. Uh, I mean, you know, my son's uh, all into the camels. They're pretty ridiculous how big those things are. You don't realize. Got lions up there. Uh, but, yeah, my daughter's just crazy about animals. She could care less about sports. She's got two former college athletes and, and as parents, and she's all into getting in the mud and finding frogs and, you know, 
so she she has a great time there. But the Utica Zoo is really cool, and they actually have some um, like they have wine in the wilderness, so they'll like have all these wine vendors. You know, a lot of New York State upstate wineries, um, and then they have this uh, well, like the Zoo Brew or something like that. Yeah, you know, like a, yeah, so, pop up like beer garden ish. Yes, yeah, that's so, that's pretty cool. We had we, we had that too. Brew at the zoo or whatever. And it's a bunch of like pay like 50 bucks and you get all like samples and whatnot. It's cool. Yeah. So they have some of those things, which honestly I haven't been able to attend because I am a dad right now. So, um, and, but uh, no, but, but that's, that's a good, good place to go. Um, Do a lot of stuff in there. All right. We'll take the next segment, 10 touches, uh, 30 second rapid fire question and answer. Cause I know you got a hard stop too, but uh, what's the, who's the funniest person you've ever worked with or coached? Uh, probably worth, uh, coach Andre cook down at St. Edwards. He's had a great year this year. He's never, he just loves to laugh guys. Love, and he loves to hear himself laugh. Never met a person that doesn't love hearing himself laugh more than coach Andre cook. So, uh, he went from Hudson Valley right to, you know, division two down there and he's been done great. So I would say him, uh, you're up in an area where the weather is not super forgiving. What's your worst travel experience as a coach? I got a worse one as a player. Yeah, go uh, for it. Uh, playing Oneonta, you know, you're going in the Suniac, you're all over the state. So we had the Buff State Brockport trip, blizzard in the middle of the games. Um, we go out there. Brockport probably takes about three and a half hours. It took us nine getting back. And, yeah, we didn't stay over. It took us nine and – and not and to make things worse, a little salt in the wounds. All of our cars were towed when we got back. So all the, you know, they needed to plow this and that, you know, all the snow, and they had no idea where our car. They have to get off the bus nine hours. So that was pretty awful. Was, uh, and they were and they charged us for the towing. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. How's that even? I don't know. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, when I ask this a lot of time with kids, parents who have kids, it's always like kids shows. But uh, if you have time for yourself, what, what's the last TV show you binge watched? Uh, I've been watching a lot of those crime documentaries on HBO. Um, the Killing Garrett Phillips or who yes, killed Garrett? That's that's that's, 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 a, that's not far from you know. Yeah, that's. I was gonna say that's like yeah. I I got. I mean, I think I did it like a week ago and. Yeah. You know, the family, the text chains that I'm involved with. Yeah, yeah. They just pop off, man. Smalls has watched every true crime documentary and TV show that there is. That's like his, and podcast, like, that's like his shit. Like, if it's true crime, like, he's always, doesn't matter what it is. Could be like the inventor. It could be like a murder mystery. It's just like, if it's crime, he's in there. Uh, What would you do if you, uh, if you weren't working, uh, if you weren't coaching basketball, what would you do? I, you know, I, I think I'd be in higher ed in some form. Uh, I, you know, I really like the kind of the career services area at one point I was looking at hard at that if coaching didn't work out, um, you know, I, 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 enrollment, you know, the whole recruiting aspect, I know a lot of people don't love recruiting, but I, I do enjoy meeting the families and meeting people. So, um, probably something in higher ed, uh, for sure. I just, just being on a college campus, I think it's just really just a great atmosphere, really cool place to work and, you know the facilities and having kids come to campus, you know, your own kids, they can go run around the gym or something like, you know, I just think college is really just cool setup. Uh, who was either uh, last one for me? Sorry. Who was the toughest player you had to guard or toughest player you've had a game plan for as a coach? 
guard. There was this kid named overseas. I was in Ireland. They had an Irish guy. His name was Paddy Kelly, and he was an MVP, which is hard to yeah. Patty That's Kelly. an Irish guy. Patty Kelly. <laughs> that guy was hitting the pub at six a.m. and then just going on the court and smoking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got one game a week and uh, there's six nights of Guinness, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, they just kept, you know, ball gets swung. He's on, like, the elbow. They kept running this action, like, at me, like, at me. And, you know, it, it was like kind of like a middle screen to screener, but with no, like, diagonal screen, no cross screen. He would just start the elbow, ball gets swung, I drop in to help, like, on the rim line, and, like, he would just run through you. He would just lower his shoulder from far, far elbow to block and just try to, like, lift you off the floor. Like, 6'4", strong guy. And then quick story with him. So that was really, you know, and then I try to kind of combat that. Now fouls on me. It's crazy. But one time, uh, you know, I played him. And, you know, I was a shooter. So scout, you know, run at him, this and that. So there was, like, offensive rebound for us. Kind of ball gets uh, about to get kicked out. There was like an off the ball whistle. So the ball's still coming to me. Whistles, you know, passes in the air. Whistle blows. And we're at this tiny little gym in Dublin. And, but the place is packed, absolutely packed. And all the fans are like right behind me. So I catch it like in the, on the wing. But, you know, ball's coming, whistle, you know, everything's dead. I'm just going to catch and shoot it still anyway. And he running at me. He was already in a full sprint. So I kind of go to lift up. He just clobbers me across like my shooting arm. I like, guess me like under the armpit, right? And we kind of get tangled. And I kind of twist. And we're going into the crowd. Like there's beer everywhere. And like I twist and kind of like I land on t- – I turn and I kind of land on top of him. So his back is into the people. And like I said, we're soaked in beer. And then, you know, teams are coming over pull us apart and we're like nose to nose and he's saying something i can't even understand what he's saying and he i'm just like shut up and then all of a sudden he pulls his head back and bang head butts me right in the nose crazy he just flat out like hooligan, like soccer hooligan just head butt me and he got he got like suspended for like four or five games like he almost got thrown out of the league that year after that it was kind of crazy but anyway yeah patty kelly so. Headbutts, the headbutts, a, a bold move. I mean, it really delivers the blow. So I, you got to respect him a little bit for that. But if you could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? Uh, at our level, the D3 rules with us being able to work with our guys, um, even if it was like, give me an hour a week in September, you know, two hours. Kids want to play. I want, you know, they, I'm seeing them, you know, a glance in the gym. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is he doing? You know, like like just being more efficient with their, their time. They want to get better. Give us a chance to kind of get ahead a little bit and not just that first month of practice, just cramming everything, um, getting ready for a game, player development. I mean, you know, just getting your hands on these some of these guys for the first time. And it, it just makes it a really hard first four weeks. But um, that would be the one thing just let us let us coach a little bit more i think it really helps kids too like especially new kids that you mentioned freshmen or transfers transition into you know their coach like you want to get to know them a little bit just if it's two hours a week or four hours a week whatever it may be just to like understand so they're comfortable on october 15th isn't like 
I don't know how this guy coaches at all because I haven't played for him and things like that. So I, I do think that's an easy change to make. Comes back to the relationships too. You yeah. know, build those things. You know, on the floor, it's, it's hard to. You know, it would just be an opportunity to be better. Hundred percent. What's your best moment as a coach? Uh, I mean, beating Amherst um, at Fisher to go to Sweet Sixteen was awesome. And you know that's and then uh, you know then that title that little title appearance run we had um, down two like three point two left in the semi and we kind of ran a little like hook and ladder play big guy caught it flipped it to our freshman and he bangs like a thirty eight footer to go to the final and uh, that was crazy that was great I didn't even know what to think that was you know that was. And we had our track team there. They were on the road going to, and they all stopped. And so, like, even though it was a neutral site for us, they, you know, the whole place emptied on this shot. Like, I didn't really been a part of anything quite like that, like a buzzer beater like that. It's pretty awesome. That's incredible. What's your pregame routine? Uh, you know, probably, um, you know, if I'm at home, home game, probably watching some film nervously. Uh, I got, usually have a manager in here that just, uh, doesn't say a word. I just kind of just say things to him, and he just kind of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, like you know, I, I don't know if this is the right ball screen coverage. This kid's gonna shred us, you know. And then I, I almost answer my own questions while talking. And he just doesn't say a word, not a word, you know. And it's therapy, like, baby. Yeah, it is. Like, <laughs> let's get it out, you know. It's just this my uh my guy. I'm like, all right, TJ, let's go win this thing, you know. <laughs> That's perfect. I had a really good conversation. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Last text from a coach. Who was it from? What did they say? Um, I was actually talking a bit with uh, Chris Murphy from Union, Union College. You know, we graduated the same uh, year. Got close to him working some camps. Um, and actually Tobin Anderson as well. You know, I, you know, Chad got us involved, you know, with you, you know, me with you guys doing this. And, uh, um, you know, so I was, you know, I just made that decision to start working with him and become part of the uh, capital elite. And so they, they, those two are already, you know, clients of his. So I was kind of more bouncing stuff off them and, you know, they had nothing but great things to say. So I was just kind of reiterating my, my initial thoughts that this was probably a good thing. So yeah, just those, those guys. Yep. Two two podcast guests we need to have on. I mentioned before, you know, Coach Cook, he's hilarious. You know, he's he's going to be cackling the whole time, though, I'll tell you that much. He's That's great. <laughs> storyteller, he's, you know, loves to talk. Um, you know, really interesting story going from Division three junior college in, you know, upstate New York to down to Austin, Texas, and that move and, Division two, you know, just the whole talk about fish out of water, you know, um, I'll come from the mean streets of Waterville, New York, and uh, you know, right near Troy, uh, and then going down to Austin, which is obviously an awesome place to be. And uh, and probably, you know, Chris Murphy, you know, that unit, he's I think a real cerebral guy and young guys doing an unbelievable job there. And, you know, he had to take over for his coach, you know, who was a, uh, a guy he played for and who was really, really successful there after kind of a really not a great situation. Um, you know, and, you know, that you can get into all that, but I think he got kind of screwed over a little bit, to be honest, and then have to take over for your coach that you played for that, you know, kind of 
he wants to still be there. So um, I, I think that's a pretty interesting uh, dynamic there. Yeah, Andre Cook, 30-4 and four last year, and then uh, deep run in the tournament, lost to West Texas, who I, I think was like the number one overall seed in, in Division Two, or like one, one of the they, – obviously they were a one seed, but quite, quite a year for, for St. Edwards, the, the Hilltoppers, if you will. Hilltopper, yep, yep. Um, last segment from us, uh, parting shot, same two questions to every guest. I have the first one. Sean, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Uh, best advice, um, you know, I think one that kind of stays has stayed with me is I was staying at my friend's house. I was coming back from playing. I stored all my stuff in their house. I was staying in a, like, side apartment while I was trying to figure out my life. And you know, he was a postmaster. Um, so no one, you know, in, involved in basketball necessarily. But he just said, you know, be be the best at something, you know, pick something and be the best, make yourself indispensable, make yourself so important that someone can't get rid of you because you do something so well. Um, or, you know, if you do become available that someone's going to want to uh, pick you up right away because you do something maybe really much better than everyone else. Um, I'm still trying to find that what that is for me, maybe, but uh, it was kind of, it kind of resonated with me a bit as far as, you know, um, trying to trying to make yourself valuable, you know, and 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 relevant. So. No, a hundred percent. Face to face with your twenty four year old self, what are you telling that person? Oh, gosh, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I yeah, think you yeah. could all go back and say that. <laughs> you, were, where, you were in Ireland. You were in Ireland then, right? Were you either coming right from Ireland or you were still in Ireland when you were twenty four? I was. Yeah, that was there that oh eight oh nine year, and then yeah, I was probably just coming back. Yeah, so, so you, you probably there probably were some times there yeah, that you were definitely yeah. an idiot. Yeah, or oh, yeah, just and like get over yourself, man. You know, you're not that. I, I was thinking, you know, duck that headbutt. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's probably you know, get out of the way of that headbutt. Maybe throw like forearm shiver. Really send Patty Kelly into the Guinness uh, face. In thinking about that story, I'm not sure that Patty Kelly's the guy that you want to rumble with because it feels like the crowd is probably not going to side with the import. Tyler, you're Irish wrong. I think that. you're wrong about that. I think if you can get one good shot, that's the one good shot theory, and then you're in a crowd, like everyone kind of jumps in, you have respect for life. You come back to Dublin, they're, they're talking about the guy who gave one to Patty Kelly. Irish people are different, man. Like, they're just different. Like, I was thinking, this is this is how wild that story was. Like, I was thinking, like, were you getting dark beer dumped on you? You know, like, American sporting events, it's like Bud Light, Miller Light, or whatever. In Ireland, are they just dumping Guinness on you? Because that's what they're just... Like motor oil. <laughs> yeah. They like Bud. Straight Budweiser over there. Do they really? Bud yeah, heavy, yeah. baby. And they like Carlsberg. I don't know if you're familiar with Carlsberg. But, yeah, and the, and the Guinness, uh, you know, it's everywhere. It's mostly the older guys, the older gentlemen at the pub are, are always hitting the Guinness butt. And they call it the, the black stuff. Uh, that's <laughs> God, I love it. The black I, stuff. Yeah, I so, can't imagine. I can't imagine yeah. what that was like. But we will, uh, like I said, I know you got a hard stop. We will We will let you go. Uh, he is at Coach Sean Coffee on Twitter, S-E-A-N-C-O-F-F-E-Y. So give him a follow. And, uh, Sean, thanks for spending the time with us this morning. We are excited to follow Utica basketball and, uh, we appreciate all the honesty and authenticity. It was awesome, man. So looking forward to seeing how you guys do this year. Yeah. Thank you. You guys are doing a great job and, you know, creating this platform for guys to kind of get their story out there and, and you know, honestly just get work at getting better at these types of situations is awesome. So appreciate you guys.
Absolutely. We'll talk soon. All right. Have a good one.